This podcast is brain powered by the University of Sydney. We are controlling transmission. Sleek Geeks, Dr. Carl, and Adam Spencer. Hey, g'day. How are you, Sleek Geek Podcasters? Adam Spencer here with. The young and incredibly lovely Dr. Carl. And it's time for another Sleek Geeks Podcast brought to you by the number 17. Uh, people think of 13 as an unlucky number, Carl. 17 is prime. I do like a good prime number. It is. It's a Fermat prime. A Fermat? Because it's two. Now, Fermat was famous for oh. theorem, the oh, theorem. He and, and he was the young guy? He, no. No, no, he lived he, quite a quite He, a he wasn't age. the young guy who scribbled something and said, I can't solve it. Galois. Oh. Galois died in a duel. Right, okay. And wrote down his treatise the night before, which My defined God. modern group theory and solved the Quintic, proved that the Quintic equation, power of five, can't be solved um, oh. in all cases. Uh, Fermat, mm-hmm. uh, so 17, is 2 to the power of 4. Plus 1. That's 2 times 2 times 2 times 2. Mm-hmm. 16, which is 16. Plus 1. Yep. So it's 2 to the power of 2 to a power plus 1. And they're your Fermat primes. Oh. 2 to the power of 2 to a power plus 1 is a Fermat prime whenever that comes out. It doesn't always happen, but whenever oh. 2 to the power of 2 to the n plus 1 is prime, that's called a Fermat prime. But I was dedicating this episode to 17 because we often think of 13 as an unlucky number. Mm. There are parts of Italy where 13 is considered quite lucky and 17 is unlucky. Why are we humans so irrational? I love it. I love our fear of numbers. It's just so oh. beautifully irrational. Anyway, roll that sting again. What's up? Twitter time. Yeah! Come on! We have a mission here today, Carl. People who listened to our last episode of the Sleek Geeks podcast, and if you didn't, go back. It was a cracker. I'd set us a task. I said we were going to dedicate an entire episode to just answering a series of questions. Series, you say? Because we'd been set so many great questions at Sleek Geeks on Twitter that we'd built up a bit of a backlog. And we started with a cracking question by Ben about um, why can't ATP break down cellulose? Mm. And by the time we got to the end of um, uh, your semen tasting like cinnamon... Uh, <laughs> We'd, we'd spent the whole episode on that one question. Mm. Today's mission, Carl, and I know we're already about three minutes into this podcast, yeah. is to get through a series of questions, i.e. more than one. More than one. No topics, just questions by okay. the good listeners to the uh, the uh, Sleek Geek podcast. We're going to start with Patrick James Rafter. Now, when I say the name Patrick James Rafter, what do you think, Carl? Uh, the TV series? <laughs> You're thinking packed to the rafters. Yeah. Uh, no. when, I, when I say Pat Rafter, what do you think? Oh, a sports person. Yes, good. T- tennis, tennis. Well done. Yes. Um, and he was very good, wasn't he? Didn't he get to Wimbledon and he, win? No, he won Wimbledon and he won the US Open, won a couple of majors, is now the captain of our Davis Cup team, also stars in those Bonds underpants ads. Ah. I don't think. Bonds underpants? Yeah. If they were baby wear, my daughter would have designed them. Your daughter designed stuff for Bonds? Yes, and now the internet thinks she's pregnant because she went looking for all these. She was applying for a job there at Bonds and she got okay. it. And um, so now the internet thinks that she's pregnant. So for a while she was getting all of this, this is baby a f- wear. Bro- uh, this is f- I'm just going to say, that, no, this is officially the moment where I have my first concern about whether we'll get through a series of questions in this Podcast, but keep going. Your yeah. daughter yeah. writes and off to Bonds, gets a job. Gets a job. Yeah. And then the internet thinks she's pregnant. So every time she, because she was looking up all the stuff about baby wear. Uh-huh. And, and a friend of hers did the same thing, was looking up stuff about marriage wear. So she started getting the baby wear stuff and then she started getting the marriage stuff. But, Shotgun wedding. Right. And then the friend, but this hasn't happened to my daughter yet, after getting all of the baby stuff and then all of the marriage ads, six months after the 
marriage ads and the wedding photographer ads stopped, the weight loss ads started coming <laughs> We've spoken <laughs> about cats. this before because now this is all about companies data sourcing, tracking yeah. your online activity, spotting telltale red flags in your online activity that suggest mm. something else in your life. We've spoken before about the case of the man in the United States who re- noticed he was being sent stuff in the mail for his daughter from, oh, yeah. from Target, the major retailer, mm. being sent on the assumption that she was pregnant. He said, what are you talking about? My 16-year-old daughter's not pregnant. And it turns out she was. Mm. So Target knew she was pregnant before her own dad did because she'd been searching for certain things online that were red flags to what a woman who's just found out she was pregnant would like foods that have lots of folate. And minerals and cute baby clothes. And yeah, and the first thing the woman, when she finds out she's pregnant, will do in some cases is go to a store. And whatever happens to be there is where she'll go. So if she's never been to Target and she walks into Target because it's there, they think, ah, here's a new person. And if you buy out of this known handbag of 25 items, seven or more, you are almost certainly a person who has just found out they're pregnant. Oh, my God, I'm pregnant. I must start eating healthy, so I'll buy these calcium supplements and zinc supplements and and, and unflavoured deodorants and and, stuff. And and Target's theory is if they can lock you into that that purchasing trajectory Mm. within pregnancy, that's where you'll go for... The, to- the inf- your newborn wear, the infant wear, the toddler wear, the kids wear, and they'll get a sort of five-year or longer buying chain out of you yes. just because they managed to get you through that gateway at that first. So in the same way that we're moving towards personalised medicine, mm. in many ways we are moving towards personalised shopping and retail experiences too, aren't we? Yeah, and that's the other side of the coin. Our children uh, don't know privacy. You and I are in mm. the last generation to have had privacy where we could have a private conversation mm. and they don't know what it is because everything is tracked, everything is recorded. And we'd like to put our, a hi to our good friends at the Australian Signals Directory Hello. and NSA. And the good thing about the NSA is they record every single email. So if you accidentally delete it, one, you can just ring them up and ask them. <laughs> the trouble is that they don't have a phone number. This gets us back to Patrick Rafter, who asked us a question on Twitter, and I presume has not won the US Open or Wimbledon, but if you have... Oh, US Open and Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah, won both. Yeah, you, wow. Yeah, he beat me. No, I'm an idiot. He won the US Open twice. Wow. He lost the Wimbledon final to Pete Sampras. He had a real chance. He was up a set to love, and in the second set was serving for the set, and Sampras hit this cracking return. Oh. And that hit it back at Rafter was a serve volley player coming to the net back to his feet, fluffed the volley. Sampras wins, I think, three sets to one. But Pat Rafter won Wimbledon twice. Wow. He may well have beaten Mark Philippoussis one time and the big serving Canadian Britain Greg Rosetsky but I'm wow. guessing on both of those. I'd like to point out that I won the Wollongong Under-16 Division Two Milo Championship in tennis. You, really? Not quite up there with Wimbledon, but in Wollongong it was big news. See, looking at your frame, you, you would if you you could you could serve from a great height from a fairly mm. young age, and you'd have very good reach. I mean, no disrespect. Mm. Having having seen you dance, ah, I'm a great dancer. Made the front page of the Daily Mail for my performance at the Kanye West concert. Yeah, you did, but I I I, I don't <laughs> think they were that, that you were there because they were saying. 
This man dances with a style and grace and coordination that suggests he'd have a great double-handed back. I don't mean it in a nasty way. Oh, they didn't. I, I, oh. If, you, if you told me that you'd like tennis in your high school years but you were a little bit unco at it, that, oh. that wouldn't have surprised me. Oh, no, no, I was actually the leader of the team on the Saturday afternoon really? comp. Really? Yep. There you go. But in moving back to Pat Rafter. Pat Rafter asks, how long, and, t- and I'm, I'm sure that Leighton Hewitt would ask you the same question, how you've heard of Leighton Hewitt? Tennis player, shorter, bit of a temper, married to a, a fiery woman or has a fiery girlfriend? R- married to a woman who used to be on Home and Away, so she's a soap opera darling. Ah, oh, right, that's it. Beck, Beck that's Hewitt. It. Got a daughter called Mia. How long until we build the space elevator, Pat asks? We've almost got the chemicals and it co- the cost, if we had the chemicals, we could have already done it with the cost of the Iraq-Afghanistan war. How long? Until we have to wait until we get the chemicals into mass production, five years, 10 years, 20 years. What is a space elevator for people who don't understand? Um, okay, I'll ask you a question without notice. Adam. Yes. How long does it take the International Space Station to go around the Earth? Three days. One and a half hours. There you go. <laughs> right. How long does it take the moon to go around the Earth? About a month. Right, a month. By the way, 80% of people whom I ask that question don't know the answer. Oh. So you're in that. Wonderful, 20%. Yes. So I thought the, you meant the space station. No, no, no. So the space station... No, yeah, 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 one and a half hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. So, so the space station is one and a half hours. Yep. It's 400 kilometres away. The moon is 400,000 kilometres. Yeah. And it takes a lot longer, uh-huh. a month or a month. Yep. In between, there is a distance corresponding to 24 hours. Ah, uh, yes, there would be. Yeah. That distance happens to be 36,000 kilometres. Mm-hmm. And so the Earth spins on its axis once every 24 hours. Mm-hmm. The thing in orbit goes around once every 24 hours. Yeah. Looks like it's just straight above you all the time. So you could, you could put, if there was something out of that 36,000-kilometre point yeah. and it was rotating one day per rotation. Or orbiting, yep. Orbiting, sorry. And I was looking at it at any given moment in time, it would pretty much stay directly it would, it would in exactly, my own line of sight. Yep, exactly. Okay. And that's why you have all these satellite dishes yep. accurately aimed at a single point in space. Uh-huh. They're just aimed up there because they've got the geostationary satellite at that point. Uh-huh. You don't have to keep on shifting your big dish. That satellite time. rotates at, uh, ro- sorry, orbits Orbit. at one day per day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yep. So, therefore, you could have a ladder, said Tsiolkovsky a Russian astronomer in 1911. From you to that satellite or some point yeah. 36,000 kilometres out. And okay. all you have to do is you've got this rope, this cord, this wire, mm-hmm. you just get four of them and then have an elevator and run up and down with electricity. Yeah. Mind you, it's a long trip, 36,000 kilometres, sure. but it's a lot better in terms of efficiency than a rocket because yeah. a rocket, you know, you get this metal cylinder, you fill it full of high explosives, you put a pointy bit on one end, put some humans there, light the wick if it doesn't blow up, yeah. eight minutes later you're in orbit. Okay, so... Minor problem, we haven't got the materials. Uh-huh. So if you get a column of steel mm-hmm. five kilometres high, the bottom flows like butter. It won't even support its own weight. Ah. Right. Even the the weight of five kilometres. So steel doesn't have the structural integrity to support the mass above it of five kilometres worth of steel. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it misses out by 35,995 kilometres. It's a start, but it's not going to get us there. No. However, carbon nanofibres are just on the point of being able to do it 
And so these are individual atoms of carbon and also the graphene sheets. We're heading towards materials that have the strength to support their own weight plus an elevator. Because when we've, we've got it, we've spoken about things like graphene before in theory, a sheet of graphene which is barely an atom thick. Or an atom thick, in yeah, fact, yeah. You, you, could, you, could, you could, you know, sorry, barely more than an atom mm. thick. This is a sheet that you could fold... Into a tube. At the same time, you could drop an elephant on it and it could support its weight. Mm. You could scrunch it up and put it in your pocket. Remarkable structural integrity compared to the stuff we, we've we either created so far ourselves or stumble across in the natural world. You're mm. saying that we've made substances there that, as opposed to steel that we have at the moment, could support 36,000 kilometres of their own mass above them. Yeah. Wow. But there's only one problem. We have difficulty in making it much longer than a few millimetres. Okay. Which leaves us with 30... We know the number, right? Yes. Yeah, right. So, but we're getting there. We're heading down that pathway. What would we use said elevator for? Massive access into space. Robert Heinlein, the science fiction writer, said um, something of the order of getting from the Earth's surface, surface into low Earth orbit is half the energy cost to anywhere. Aha. Right. Once you're in orbit, then it's easy. So if we can then send our rockets up in pieces Uh on the space elevator, then assemble them in the fuel, then suddenly we've got rockets that could get us very quickly to the outer planets. Or or if if NASA had some probe they wanted to launch, Mm. and normally they'd send up a whole rocket and then it releases the probe, Mm. you could bang the probe in the elevator up out and, it goes from and there. Then, then have the whole rocket because you use up 90% of all your energy just getting to yeah, low yeah. Earth orbit and, and you've got a little and, bit left. And all the, the danger inherent in that energy being in fuel or whatever associated with the rocket, things can go wrong, etc. Mind mm, you, wouldn't want an aeroplane to run into the space. No, elevator. sure. Although it could be so strong that the elephant, the aeroplane would just have its wings sliced off. Good. Which is, well, no. No, but it shouldn't run into it. But the aeroplane should run into it. So it, it could be – I love the space elevator. So who was asking that question? That no, was Pat Rafter. Pat Rafter. Look, Pat, I think that's a very deep question. I'm sure you think about these things while you're there winning Wimbledon twice, I believe. I uh, know, the US Open. The US Open twice. Yeah. I'm sure you think about these while you're waiting for your opponent to polish the ball and whatever they do in tennis. <laughs> they bounce the ball. Ba- oh, bounce the Cricket where the... they polish it. Yeah. Oh, well, right, cricket. Right. So, so it would be an awesome elevator to get in. Because you'd get in, right, and mm-hmm. there'd just be two buttons. One would, <laughs> one would say ground and one would say one. Yeah. <laughs> and it would be the only elevator you could get in where you wouldn't have to worry. You know, you, know, you hate an elevator, so you, you're, like, you, you're going mm-hmm. and then you stop and someone else gets in. Mm-hmm. You know, go on the floor and you stop and someone else gets in. And then you stop and someone gets half in, puts their hand in because they're finishing a really important conversation they're having with someone outside no. the elevator. And you're going, dude, get in the elevator. Has somebody done yeah, that? Yeah, yet? elevator etiquette's ter- terrible car. But you wouldn't have to worry oh. about that because there'd just be two buttons, ground and one. Right. But if you pressed one and just as the elevator took off, you went, bugger me. I've oh, Got to go to the toilet. I forgot my keys. <laughs> And you pressed ground again, mm. it'd, t- it'd be a long time before you got back. Well, you'd probably get up to 1,000 kilometres an hour, so it's, say, 36 hours, through one and a half days up, one and a half days back. Right. But the energy cost would be so much less. It would be the unleashing of space travel. We will become a space-going race, and the space elevator is an important, is the essential way to do it. There you go. This is pretty much brings us to the end of this Sleek Geeks podcast. Carl, you'll never guess how many Twitter questions we got through. More is, than one? If it, No. No. <laughs> Not more than one. Pat James Rafter. If you want to help us build up this 
ever-increasing backlog of awesome Twitter questions that you, we will get through. This is my promise to you. Tweet us at Sleek Geeks, Adam Spencer and Dr. Carl, saying uh, we'll see you very soon. Geeks.